Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sleep Unplugged with Dr. Chris Winter. I'm Dr. Chris Winter. This is episode 14. I can't believe it. We've made it this far. Uh, episode 14, Circadian Rhythms, Time May Change Me. Very excited for everyone to be here. It's been a big week. Uh, last week's episode, episode 13, Restless Leg Syndrome, You Gotta Move, was by our standards here on Sleep Unplugged, a blockbuster. We had a big week. Uh, we were on the charts for lots of medical podcasts around the world. I think we got as high as number 99 on medical podcasts in the United States. And there are thousands of these podcasts out there. We've recorded at that point 13 episodes. Here's episode 14. So it's a real humbling experience to have this kind of reaction to our podcast. I'm really indebted to everyone listening and just really excited that people are finding it to be fun and helpful. We're really creating a sort of family here on Sleep Unplugged, and it's way more than I thought it would be when we started this project. So very excited. Thank you very much uh, to everyone listening, sending in great reviews, comments, questions. Uh, it really makes it fun when it's bi-directional and not just me talking into a microphone. So really excited about that. want to thank everybody for making it so popular, fun, and, and entertaining. Um, just want to give a quick mention of my social media. If you want to get in touch with me, if you have questions about the show, questions about episodes, I am at Dr. Chris Winter. So that's Dr. Chris Winter on Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter Instagram, Dr. Chris Winter on TikTok. We do have a Sleep Unplugged page on YouTube. If you want to watch the episode and the recording, there is a audio and video portion of me uh, talking in front of a, what appears to be a fake fig tree where I'm at right now. Uh, so if that's of interest to you, please tune in and, and follow our page. Please like, subscribe. If you have time, write a review about the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. We really appreciate it. I have two books, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken, How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child, Why You're Tired, Why Your Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help. A lot of the topics we talk about, including the one we talked today about circadian rhythms, there are featured parts in both books about that. So if you want more information about any of these topics, except for menopause, menopause, as we talked about in episode uh, three, I believe, uh, was cut from my first book. So unfortunately, if you need more information about menopause beyond episode three, you're going to have to look elsewhere. Uh, for people who are new to the program, uh, we don't have guests. It's just me talking just to make it easy on myself and, and, and a little bit more standardized, even though there's amazing sleep people out there who uh, have great information themselves. And we try to feature as many of those people as we can on our podcast. Uh, so no guests. Uh, we did mention Brad Pitt one time because I gave him a copy of my new book, The Rested Child, in this bizarre episode that happened. I talked about it in the bonus episode. Um, so if he wants to come on and give us a review of the book, he's welcome to do it anytime. So uh, corrections from last week's episode on restless leg. The only one that I can come up with at this point is I was talking about FDA approved medications for restless leg. 
And I talked about three of them, Repinerol, Premapaxol, and Nupro, which is reticotine. And I couldn't think of the fourth. And I mentioned gabapentin, which is not technically an FDA-approved drug for restless leg, although it's often used as such. The fourth one I was trying to remember was a drug horizon, which is a variation of gabapentin. Um, you can look it up. I, I put a post on my Twitter account about that. So we will correct that. Um, the fourth FDA approved drug is Verizon. Um, I want to go to some letters and some uh, messages I've received via social media about the podcast. I'm trying to get a response to everybody who writes if possible. If it's someone in line, again, this is not meant to be medical advice, but for people with general questions, I'm trying to answer as many as I can. So forgive me if I've gotten a little bit behind, but last week was a bit overwhelming. Uh, the two I wanted to, uh, to feature in this podcast were sort of about restless leg syndrome, the episode that we just did, uh, episode 13. And the first one's from Bonnie Hunt. Uh, she asked, does this ever happen in the arms? And the answer is yes. It's commonly talked about when restless leg starts to rise up and start to you know, affect people in the arms that it can be a sign of augmentation and rebound. We talked about what those things were in the last visit, uh, but not always. Um, it, it can be in the arms just for the average individual. Uh, we generally think of it as being symmetric. It doesn't always have to be. So if the same criteria that we talked about, about restless leg are affecting you, but you feel it a bit more in the arms and the legs, I often do. We talked about that in the last episode then absolutely you can have restless arm syndrome. So thanks, Bonnie, uh, for, for putting that out there. Second one was Christina Wright Yee wrote, any tips for restlessness in pregnancy? Uh, first of all, congratulations. That's fantastic. I, I think the biggest things for restlessness in, in pregnancy would be, number one, were you somebody who had restless leg before pregnancy? Uh, restless leg can be exacerbated by pregnancy. Talk to your obstetrician or the doctor that's taking care of you. You might want to ask her about her thoughts about iron supplementation. Exercise can be extremely helpful for people with restless leg, including things like yoga, walking, stretching, um, and, and in terms of you know hot showers and things like that. But again, anything that you're doing uh, that relates to trying to create or treat restlessness in pregnancy, please talk to your, 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 your doctors about that to make sure it's safe for your particular situation. There's also some um, mineral supplementation that might be helpful for you as well too. So thank you very much for both of those comments. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll put some more information on our uh, webpage and uh, social media about those two questions coming up. So today we're talking about restless leg, I'm sorry, we're talking about circadian rhythms. And the title of this is Time May Change Me. That's, of course, the lyric from David Bowie's Changes. We talked about Hunky Dory a couple albums ago. It's such a great album. First uh, song off his 1971 album was Changes. And there's a great line, time may change me, but I can't trace time. And I like that idea about timing changing us. That's really what we're talking about today with circadian rhythms. Um, we're talking about exercise. We're talking about eating. We're talking about taking medications. We're talking about our jobs and whether or not the time that these things happen 
does it matter? Does it matter if we exercise first thing in the day or if we exercise late at night? And it was interesting because I was just on CBC radio this past week about some research that has come out looking at chronotype. And I think it's really important before we dive into jet lag, before we dive into shift work, that we understand the circadian rhythm and the basics of what a chronotype mean, because it's really meaningful in current research about sleep and in understanding ourselves and understanding our kids. And I write a lot about it in The Rested Child. So when we talk about circadian rhythms, we're talking about the timing of the things that are happening in our body and how we relate that to our environment. So this research that came out recently said, hey, it's looking like perhaps if you're a night owl, you might be more at risk for cardiovascular disease and metabolic problems like diabetes. And in this study of about 50 people, it looked like the night owls struggled more with sugar and insulin optimization than the morning people did. So if you think about insulin, it's like a sponge. It kind of mops up sugar in our bloodstream and pulls it to tissue. Uh, in individuals who have diabetes, they have low levels of insulin. So that sugar that's in the bloodstream doesn't quite get into the tissue the way it's supposed to. So diabetes was one time described as starving in the midst of plenty, plenty of sugar everywhere, but you can't get it where it needs to go because of the impaired amount or functionality of the insulin. So in this study, there was a question of, it looked like the night owls might be at more risk for these disease diseases in the morning types. Well, why would that be? Well, what does it matter when you exercise? What does it matter when you eat a Snickers bar? Well, the timing of these things matters considerably. So there are questions about, well, if you're a night owl, so imagine the typical night owl, love to stay up late, get up late. You drag yourself out of bed around 11 o'clock, maybe even 12 o'clock because you work from home. What's changing about that individual? Well, they may not feel great in the morning. A lot of night owls say it takes them a while to get going. So are they going to go to the gym first thing in the morning? Are they meeting at the crack of dawn to go exercise with their buddies? No, they're dragging themselves out of bed, maybe even skipping breakfast, and their energy levels start to rise as the day goes on. And by the time the night comes, they're full of energy, full of ideas, eating, writing, working, doing great things, maybe even exercising. So the thought was maybe the fact that they're not exposing themselves to that early morning light could be causing problems within their circadian rhythm? Could it be that they're pushing all their exercise towards the end of the day? Could it be that they're consuming all their calories towards the end of the day and not, and that might be problematic? So what we're really getting into is timing and the circadian rhythm. So I'm really excited to make this the topic for today because I really think it's gonna form the groundwork for a lot of future episodes, discussions, and questions. So what is the circadian rhythm? The one thing I want you to walk away from this episode with is the idea that the circadian rhythm does involve sleep, but that's not the only thing that it involves. So we, we tend to sort of have this conversation about the circadian rhythm as it relates to sleep. And what I want you to do is to sort of open up your mind and think about the circadian rhythm pretty much affecting everything you do. One of my favorite circadian researchers was a guy named Jurgen Ashoff. And he said something that I've always found to be very profound. In fact, it's sometimes 
the very first slide on a present like an academic presentation I do on circadian rhythm. And what he said was, whatever physiological variables we measure, we usually find that there is a maximum value at one time of day and a minimum value at another. So let's think about some physiological variables, heart rate, blood pressure, body temperature, urine production, red blood cell production. I mean, your bodies do lots of things. And what he's saying is if you pick one of those things and follow it over a long period of time, several, several weeks, and plot it out, what you tend to find is, let's take body temperature. Body temperature seems to always peak around four o'clock, and it always seems to trough around 5 a.m., a couple hours before an individual wakes up. In fact, I got a cool thermometer. Everybody got thermometers during COVID, and one of the thermometers I got, you just you know touch your forehead and it gives you the temperature. So I was out um, in Arizona uh, doing spring training uh, physicals for a baseball team. And this team said, look, Chris, we need you here at, you know, 545 in the morning. And we're going to just crank through these physicals. And I don't I think we finished up at like seven or eight o'clock. Now, that was just me finishing with the players. I still had to sort of fill out the reports and create all these individual player reports to give back to the team, which took a long time. So I pretty much worked 24 hours and I anticipated that I would be doing as such. So as the day went on, I had this thermometer right next to me and a watch and I set the watch to go off every 15 minutes. It just kind of vibrated and I would pick up the thermometer, touch it to my forehead and write down the value. And so at the end of 24 hours, I had this plot of my body temperature throughout a entire day. And sure enough, it made this sort of perfect plot. Now, what was interesting was, you know, we typically think about the body temperature maximum being at four o'clock, you know, whatever, um, you know, minimum 5 a.m. If you're a night owl, it might be a little bit later than that. If you're a morning person, maybe a little bit earlier. If you plot it out, I consider myself to be a little bit of a night person. Well, when I looked at the plot, it was several hours off what I thought it might be. And I thought, well, you know, whatever, I'm just doing this myself. And then, you know, a couple of days later, it occurred to me, well, of course, because I'm still on East Coast time. It's, I haven't really acclimated to the West Coast because I did it the first day I arrived in Arizona. So my guess is after several days of acclimating to that time zone, like we talked about in the sports performance uh, issue uh, episode on 12 that acclimation takes about a day for every you know, time zone you travel it probably would have changed so anyway that temperature is just one variable that is beholden to the circadian rhythm so what is the circadian rhythm what what is this so circadian let's look at the word circa circadian around circa a day dian so it's basically saying this rhythm is happening about every day about every 24 hours and the circadian rhythm is old. I mean, it evolved back in the time of single cell organisms as a way for that organism on Earth to maximize its ability to prosper and survive. So if you're thinking about a single cell dividing, it might be better for that cell as the nucleus is changing to allow it to split into two cells it might be an advantage for that to happen at night away from harmful you know, UV lights that could damage that delicate uh, nuclear 
contents. But when you think about more complex organisms or humans, we have to find food. It might be better for us to do that during the day than, than at night. We have to protect ourselves from predatory changes. Uh, so all of these things have evolved so that our bodies and the things that we're doing within our bodies are maximized based upon the time of day. So that's essentially what the circadian rhythm has done. And so our bodies have evolved an internal clock that allow us to be best at sync with our environment. So that's fantastic. Um, up until we start developing jobs and lighting and things that allow us to continue what we do during the day at night, and that's where things really change. So when you think about the circadian rhythm, try to think of it as an entire organism system that's housed in a little part of our brain called our suprachiasmatic nucleus. And that little pacemaker that's in there is regulating the body processes entirely. One of the things I always tell people is our bodies do nothing accidentally. It's all part of a plan. And what we want to do as humans is to support that plan and not work against it. And that's where a lot of the pathology comes. So there are circadian rhythms that govern the heart, the pancreas, the intestines, the thyroid, our entire endocrinological system, our cardiovascular system, our neural system, our immune system are all subject to this very important process in our body that really is influenced heavily by light. So as light enters into our eyes, it's picked up by cells in the retina, very specialized cells that feed that information back to the, circadian, the suprachiasmatic nucleus and influence our pineal body in terms of making the chemical melatonin, which we have talked a little bit about in previous episodes. We've talked a little bit about in the sleeping pill episode. Um, in, the, in that episode, we talked about it's not, melatonin is not a sleep pill. It's not a sleep aid. It's a timing aid. And it's really important to understand what melatonin is doing before you give it to yourself or give it to your family. Because a lot of times that discussion is not happening. It's my child can't sleep. I can't sleep. Okay, well, here's a melatonin gummy bear. Here's melatonin combined with something else and, you know, in a smoothie or whatever. And you're, you're, you're taking it to, to, to influence that, which is really not what's happening here. You're influencing timing. So how do we know about this? And I love sort of vintage circadian research. Jurgen Ashoff, who we talked about, did this very famous experiment called the Bunker Experiment in 1966 in Bavaria, Germany. In fact, that bunker apparently is still there. I think you can visit it, although it's in you know, pretty ill, bad repair. I mean, he was doing research in that bunker from 66 to you know, somewhere in the 80s where people would voluntarily, himself included, he went there for a period of time, would go and live there. You could do whatever you wanted to do. You could you know, eat and you had certain you know, rules. You couldn't nap after a certain time. You cook for yourself and whatnot. But the question was, what's your rhythm going to be when you have absolutely no idea what time it is outside? And what they found was that individuals gravitated towards about a 25-hour day. So their day, without any sort of time cue, drifted longer than what we consider to be a, a normal day, a trip around, you know, um, uh, 
So anyway, so uh, fascinating. Uh, Nathaniel Kleitman, Bruce Richardson did something very similar to that decades prior in the, in the late 1930s. They spent 32 days in Mammoth Cave, Kentucky, doing the very similar experiment. But what they did was they went into this cave with no lighting, no time cues, and adopted a 28-hour day to see would that change their biological rhythms. And it was a difficult in, uh, experiment to interpret in a lot of ways. But what they came out, when they came out of the, and I'll post pictures of this experiment, it's fantastic, I love it. Uh, when they came out of the cave, they basically said, no, we, we adopted, you know, we felt pretty decent on this 28 hour day but our body was still on a roughly 24 hour schedule. That circadian rhythm doesn't change. Because the question was, well, if you just take a bunch of people and put them on a planet where there's a 28 hour day or 22 hour day, does that rhythm just change to adopt the environment or is it truly intrinsic? And the answer is it's intrinsic, it's inside us. Now it was probably originated to coincide with the 24 hours, but it's inside of us and it's extremely important. So when we think about the circadian rhythm, think about it as matching our environment, but not being dictated by it. It's affected by it, but not dictated by it. It's inside of us. So why is the circadian rhythm a little bit longer? So the bunker experiment showed the, the day to be about 25 hours. That was the circadian rhythm. In actuality, further research has kind of shown that the circadian rhythm in humans it's about 24.2 hours. So it is longer than a typical day, but it's not 25 hours. And so the question is why? Why would it be to an organism's advantage for the intrinsic rhythm to be slightly longer than the environment's rhythm? So let's think about that. So if it's slightly longer and were there no light impulses, we were in the bunker we would keep having a slightly longer and longer day, which you can see in some individuals with circadian rhythm disorders, which we will cover in an entire different episode. Delayed sleep phase syndrome, advanced sleep phase syndrome, et cetera. People who are blind can have non 24 hour because they're not getting that light impulse. Why is that light impulse so important? Well, when an individual wakes up every day in the morning and sees light, that light basically corrects that 24.2 hour rhythm and backs it up a little bit. So every day we wake up that slightly longer than the day we're living in allows light to basically advance our circadian rhythm just a little bit. So it's kind of like having a watch when you wake up that says 802 and you're backing it up just a little bit, saying, well, it's actually eight o'clock and you correct it from 8.02 to eight o'clock and you go about your day. So even though the watch is a little bit off, that correction with light every day keeps that rhythm sort of in check. Imagine if now, instead of a 24.2 hour day, it's a 23.8 hour day. So we're slightly shorter. So every day we wanna wake up a little earlier and a little earlier rather than a little later than a little later. So what happens there though, is the presence of light in the morning would not really be able to change that circadian rhythm. So instead of waking up at 6 a.m., you'd wake up at 5.58, and then you would wake up at you know 5.52 or whatever. So you'd keep going backwards. Well, unfortunately, as you started waking up in the night, there wouldn't be the cue 
to easily autocorrect that longer circadian rhythm. So that's the reason why we keep that 24.2 hour rhythm because the environment helps us to correct that a little bit more easily. So when we think about the circadian rhythm, I think it's very important to understand that it relates directly to the processes of our body. So we talked about our heart, we talked about our brain, uh, we talked about the Canadian research that was showing that perhaps it was affecting the way we deal with sugar and insulin. There was a great study many years ago that, that showed individuals who ate a candy bar every day at three o'clock had far fewer metabolic consequences from that candy bar than similar people who ate the candy bar whenever they wanted to. So the timing of that candy bar every day at three o'clock made it such that the body understood it was coming and could deal with it much better. And so we've talked about this. We talked about this in the, the episode, episode 12 about sleep and athletic performance. Does timing of day affect the way you throw a baseball or row a boat? Uh, I just finished working with the Washington Wizards. Uh, it's training camp. I was wearing my training camp shirt for a different team. It's the Thunder, but it's training camp time now. Um, September 24th was training camp for four teams that have to make international trips. Training camp for the non-international trip preseason teams starts on the 27th. But for the Wizards, they're flying to Tokyo. So using information and research and science about the circadian rhythm is extremely important as we plan out their trip to Tokyo and back. And you can read about it in the Washington Post. It'll be coming out soon, uh, a story about that. So keep your eye on that. So forget about sports, forget about athletic performance. Let's think about health. And so when you think about health, it's really important to understand that the timing of things that we do in our lives directly impacts our health and performance. And we know this because we've looked at things where individuals are out of sync with their circadian rhythm. And the best example of that are shift workers. So in 2007, there was a paper that was put out by the International Agency for Research on Cancer. That's the IARC. So in 2007, they put out a paper that said basically shift work, they looked at painting and the fumes associated with painting, as well as firefighting. So if you're a firefighter, shout out to the Fort Worth Fire Department. Um, uh, we see you guys that when you're firefighting and you're around all these burning chemicals, burning insulation, burning wood, burning stuff, that, that that inhalation of that smoke could relate to carcinogenic or cancer-causing risk. We know smoking causes cancer risk. But what about shift work? So in 2007, they said, yeah, on the basis of what we can see, being a shift worker is putting you at a higher risk for cancer. Just think about that. Shift work is a carcinogen. Now, what's interesting is they actually looked at that in more depth uh, in a paper uh, in 2000, gosh, I think it's you know 2020. Um, and I'll put this up. It's an entire paper. You can read it for free. Night Shift Work, the IARC monograph on the identification of carcinogenic hazards to humans, volume 124. And in that, they basically did a deeper dive into looking at shift work and its relative carcinogenicity, how much it causes cancer, and called it a class 2A carcinogen. 
just because of the timing of when you do your work. So it's very important for all of us to think about timing. When do we exercise? When do we eat? When do we sleep? And try to make that as consistent as possible. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was actually at Annapolis and filmed a little quick video about you know, really liking the way the military approaches sleep because they're on such a perfect schedule. Eat same time every day. Exercise same time every day. If you're a student at West Point, student in, in Annapolis, you're going to classes same time every day. And then the weekend doesn't vary all that much. So the question was, if you're a military person in that sort of structured environment, does it affect your longevity? And there was a great study, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll post it, that it was called Relative Longevity Among Retired Military Personnel. And it basically looked at that question and said, it appears that overall retired military personnel 67.9% lived longer than the average relative to their sex-specific birth co cohort. So looking at people the same age, same gender, who weren't in the military, and it seemed like the military people actually lived longer. Now that goes against some earlier findings about if you're a veteran, do you live longer or not? But as we get you know outside of the average veteran having significant service and the risk that goes along with, you know, Agent Orange exposure and things like that, does military service in general and that structure and that exercise actually influence longevity? So this is a really interesting study that says, yeah, it, it, it very well may. So what I want to leave you with are a couple things. Number one, we can understand our circadian rhythm and we can understand our chronotype. So chronotype is basically within that rhythm, do you tend to be a bit more morning-oriented or a bit night-oriented? And these are all controlled by genes. So I always found it to be very interesting when I'm working with patients to do things. There's something called a Horn-Osberg survey, or you can get really detailed with body temperature analysis, like we were talking about at the top of the show, where you can start to understand, are you a morning person? Or are you a, an, an evening person? and making changes based upon the timing of the things in your life to influence your health. And in future episodes, we will get into light for the manipulation of circadian rhythm because we know timing light at the end of the day tends to elongate your day, meaning that if right before you went to bed at night, you stepped outside in the brightest, you know, full spectrum light, it would tend to sort of push your bedtime later uh, versus light exposure earlier in the day may actually rein in a night owl and make their tendency to want to sleep a little bit earlier. So these manipulations are extremely important if you are a shift worker, because the question that's going to come out of this episode is, Chris, I'm a shift worker. In fact, I'm the worst of the shift workers. I do 7A to 7P for 14 days, have a couple days off, then I'm 7P to 7A for 14 days. I'm going, I'm backwards and forward. My body doesn't have a schedule because my work changes it every two weeks. What can I do? I would say that's an extremely serious situation. And there's uh, there are things that you can do to make these sort of negative situations better. 
I, I talk about them in both of my books. I mean, we will have episodes about specifically about shift work, specifically about jet lag, because I think those topics deserve their own episodes. Um, but what I wanted out of this episode was for everyone to understand that this timing is extremely important. So what can you do right now? Anything that you can do that bolsters or strengthens that schedule is important. So if you're somebody who just kind of exercises whenever you want to, pick a time. I think research, current research would say maybe earlier in the day is better than later in the day, but I'll take later in the day if that's all you can do. If you've got a kid who has no schedule whatsoever, what we call uh, social jet lag during the school week, they get up at seven to go to school. During the weekend, they're up at two o'clock in the afternoon and you know up until 4 a.m., Talk to them about this episode and tell them, look, you know, even though you're young, this wildly changing schedule that you're on, including wildly changing exposures to light, wildly changing meal times, wildly, wildly changing exercise times may have a very negative influence on your health. So the homework for all my listeners is create routine doesn't have to, you don't have to change everything overnight. If you're somebody who basically does okay eating breakfast at the same time every day, but lunch is just basically, you know, dependent upon when, what your work is like, I grab it when I can. Keep some bars in your desk. And every day at noon, if you can't have lunch at noon or you, you, you're going to have to work through lunch because you're so busy, grab that bar and eat it. It's not so much about the caloric intake. It's about telling your brain, this is when we eat lunch. This is meal time, even though I really don't have time for a full lunch. If you're somebody who exercises in the morning, you kind of overslept, ah, oh, I'm going to miss my class. Don't go back to sleep unless you need to sleep. Get up and just jog in the neighborhood for 15 minutes. Go jog in the cul-de-sac, do some you know, burpees, and then jog back. Even though it's not as intense and as awesome as your boot camp instructor, you still got up, got some sunlight in your face, warmed your body, did some exercise, and kept that circadian rhythm in check. So any way you can from this week to next week moving forward, try to make one or two changes that increase that relative schedule in your life. That will make a huge impact not only on your health, but hopefully on the way you feel, your longevity, and maybe even, yes, your sleep. So that's it. I uh, really wanted to cover, I'll put a bunch of stuff. There's, a, there's so many great things to put on social media this week. The Nathaniel Kleitman, Bruce Richardson cave pictures and the bunkers and Jurgen and all that good stuff. Um, so uh, please hit me up with questions, criticisms, scientific corrections. I have got really thick skin and, and very interested in putting the best scientific content out there. So if I make mistakes, I'm not interested in sending out black pearls into the universe. So we want to be very scientifically rigorous on this show. Um, my social media is Dr. Chris Winter Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter Instagram, Dr. Chris Winter TikTok. You can find us on the YouTube Sleep Unplugged channel if you want to watch the episode. Uh, the books are The Sleep Solution: Why Your Sleep Is Broken and How to Fix It. Uh, as well as the rest of the child, why you're tired, why are the irritable child behavior sleep disorder and how to help. Thank you guys for making this so much fun. Thank you for sharing it with your friends and family and people who you think might be interested. Love the questions. 
uh, keep them coming. And until next week, which is again, first Monday of October, I can't believe it, September sale by first Monday of October is insomnia. We do a topic on insomnia every, every, every week. And next month, uh, next week, the topic will be waking up in the middle of the night and what to do about it. So we'll see you then until then sleep well.